So what's behind the denigration of whiteness? We'll discuss part two of that topic today right here on the Christian Worldview radio program where the mission is to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news, the gospel, that all people can be reconciled to God, made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm David Wheaton, the host, and our website is thechristianworldview.org. Well, thank you for joining us today. You know, last week we discussed what is behind the denigration of whiteness in the country, examining a section of that title on the website of the Smithsonian Institution's National Museum of African American History and Culture, along with a now-removed infographic on, quote, aspects and assumptions of whiteness and white culture in the United States. And you can view those graphics and and websites by going to our website. We have links to them there. Now, values like the nuclear family, objective thinking, hard work, delayed gratification, and Christianity are associated with whiteness, as they say it, and viewed as eh, unremarkable or even contemptible. In short, the vilification of whiteness is really not a two-veiled vilification of mostly Christian values. Now, this weekend on the program, Catherine Kirsten is going to join us for part two of this topic. Catherine is a senior policy fellow at the Center of the American Experiment, which is a conservative civic policy organization based here in Minnesota. And recently she wrote a column for the Minneapolis Star Tribune titled Racial Justice, the New Religion, which highlights much of the race-ism or the denigration of whiteness, that worldview that's common in our current times. Let's get to the first segment of that interview. Catherine, thank you for coming back on the Christian Worldview radio program. I want to read some excerpts from your most recent column that was published in the Minneapolis Star Tribune entitled Racial Justice, a New Religion. You say, since the death of George Floyd, a movement that condemns America as systemically racist has convulsed our public consciousness. Sixty years after the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and despite decades of affirmative action, massive social welfare spending, and a two-term black president, we are told that, quote, white supremacy deforms America today as it has throughout history. The movement to eradicate white privilege manifests in demands to defund police and in the toppling of statues. Move on to say educational, business, media, nonprofit and entertainment institutions have taken up the, quote, systemic racism mantra with breathtaking speed, issuing statements declaring their virtue and right thinking. So my question is, immediately after the killing of George Floyd, a a leap was made that was unchallenged that Derek Chauvin, the police officer who had his knee in the back of the neck of George Floyd, that he acted out of racial animus. In other words, it must have been racism why he did this. Precisely. That the the Minneapolis Police Department is therefore systemically racist because there have been this incident and others in the past. And the entire country, to use that phrase again, is systemically racist. How was that leap made and accepted by the broad majority of the country immediately after that killing? 
What a, what a good question, and it, it's something to marvel at. Um, I think uh, the, the problem is that the kind of intellectual environment for this kind of um, uh, sort of passionate uh, as opposed to objective uh, analysis of the stream of events that you just described has, has been set up. That is, uh, we are more and more being told by our, our uh, cultural elite people are divided into two groups, all right? There, there, there are the oppressors and the oppressed. And uh, in K-12 schools uh, across the country, certainly uh, here in Edina where I live, and I've written extensively about this, kids are learning from kindergarten up that they need to be aware of their fellow citizens in terms, first and foremost, of their skin color rather than looking at them as individuals. And all of this plays out within this kind of intellectual worldview of white people uh, as, as necessarily oppressors and uh, so-called people of color or ethnic and racial minorities as, uh, as natural victims, kind of perennial victims. And that, so when an incident like the George Floyd uh, event takes place today, uh, so many people are kind of programmed to understand it without thinking through it in these simplistic terms. Catherine Kirsten joins us today in the Christian Worldview, a senior policy fellow at the Center of the American Experiment. More with your column. Yet something, you say, is profoundly amiss in the frenzied movement that has America in its grip. This movement elevates passion over reason and dogma over data. It contemptuously rejects and attempts to silence calls for objective analysis as self-evidently racist. In the process, it requires adherence to turn a blind eye to its stark inconsistencies. For example, while its votaries blocked Interstate 94, that's here in the Twin Cities, and torched whole neighborhoods in the name of justice for George Floyd, who died at the hands of police, they are silent about the reign of gunfire and soaring death toll from black-on-black violence in Minneapolis since then. As of Friday, the city had had 37 homicides in 2020, nearly twice as many as this time last year. And at least 274 people have been shot, nearly a 60% increase. Nationally, about 90% of black murder victims are killed by other blacks where the race of the killer is known, according to the FBI. We're being told, Catherine, and even from those within uh, church denominations, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention saying, this isn't the time to uh, look at statistics and facts and data. Black Our Lives whoa. Matter. Whoa. What's your response to that? We should always look at uh, suggestions about uh, public policy moves uh, dispassionately in, in terms of, of data, in terms of facts, when people are carried away by emotion-stoked frenzy, especially in the current environment of, of the COVID lockdowns, uh, where hysteria has built for a number of months, uh, this, this is a very bad move. Uh, we, we shouldn't let you know, extremist voices uh, who, whose own conduct is so inconsistent 
uh, with the principles that they espouse, such as Black Lives Matter, uh, who, are, as you just read, are, purport to be very concerned about black lives, but in fact are completely silent on the death of toddlers in inner city gun uh, violence and uh, never show interest uh, when young black men are killed by other black men, but only uh, the very rare instance where an unarmed black man is is killed uh, by police. You know, we we shouldn't be trusting people whose political agenda clearly uh, is behind the public policy moves such as defunding the police that they are that they are uh, telling all the rest of us we should adopt. We, we need to be reasoned and careful to base our policy movements on facts, not on emotion. You go on in your column that was recently printed in the Minneapolis Star Tribune, a very liberal newspaper, Racial Justice, A New Religion is the title of it. You say, what is unfolding before our eyes is a new secular religion. For all its claims of, quote, inclusivity, this new faith is deeply intolerant. It has roots in the American past that would likely surprise its adherents, the Puritan era of our nation's earliest religious zealots. Progressives are now engaged in, in doing theology without God. Quote, woke is the new saved, unquote, in the words of commentator John Zimrak. So, Catherine, explain this new religion more, this woke religion, this racist religion that sees everything in the identity of, of skin color. Right. Um, this new religion uh, is, is a, a twisted version of uh, extremist uh, Puritan theology from America in the 1690s. I'm thinking here of the, uh, of the witch hunt mentality, you know, Nathaniel Hawthorne's novel, uh, The Scarlet Letter, that, that kind of thing. Obviously, Puritan theology uh, it, it was, was uh, a, a really a marvelous, uh, uh, has created a marvelous legacy in so many respects for the American nation. But this is a twisted 21st century version of, of some of the more one-dimensional kind of deterministic elements of, of Puritanism of the 1690s in America. But the, the first thing that I talk about then in the column is uh, this notion that uh, Puritan zealous divided human beings into two kinds of people only, the saved and the damned, the saints and the sinners, you know, the, the sheep and the goats. Uh, this, this notion having been updated uh, into uh, the, the current uh, proposition of Black Lives Matter type thinkers that, um, that human beings based on their skin color are either oppressors or, or oppressed. But this is all determined, right? White people can't do anything about the fact uh, that they are uh, that they are oppressors. Moral agency is is completely removed. They must be. Uh, they, they must carry out acts of implicit bias, right, without even knowing it. Uh, and and black people, on the other hand, have no moral agency at all because they are determined to be victims by their skin color. So they can only improve their outcomes uh, if white people change their behavior, that kind of thing that uh, can be so destructive in, in the context of American democracy. 
Catherine Kirsten with us today on the Christian Worldview radio program. She's a senior policy fellow at the Center of the American Experiment, which is a conservative civic policy organization based here in Minnesota. Uh, you talk about this innate depravity, yep, uh, dividing yep. humans into the saved and the damned, as the Puritans actually correctly did. That's a biblical concept, saved and unsaved believers and non-believers. But yep. again, taken to the extreme uh, by this new movement, one of Puritan theologies, you write, core tenets is innate depravity, the doctrine that humans are inherently wicked as a result of original sin. The woke faith, this new religion, preaches an updated version. America's original sin is white supremacy. Right. For white people, quote, having racist assumptions is inevitable, unquote, according to Robin DeAngelo, author of the best-selling book, White Fragility. Quote, straight white men have been involved in a whiteness protection program that absolves them of their crimes, unquote, DeAngelo declares. The Puritans divided humans into the saved and the damned, the saints and the sinners. The woke faith does the same, classifying people as either oppressors or victims. Now, you've talked about this already, but this really is a racist denigration of of white people. It's really a you're being racist against white people by calling them racist just based on their skin color. And it's of note that in the column that you wrote in another a counterpoint column that we'll read later in the program, that when we talk about blacks, in the, when black is written in the column, it's capitalized. When the term white is written, it's not capitalized. Right. So how is this racist ideology that if you're yep. white, you're privileged and racist, how is that even accepted for one moment in our society? Catherine Kirsten is our guest today on The Christian Realview. She will answer this question and that question right after this first break of the day. Stay tuned. The Bible says that children should be raised in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's nothing more important than sitting, walking, talking, and teaching your son or daughter to love and fear God. The church is swimming in children's resources but it's ultra-important to select ones that accurately represent God, His Word, and the Gospel. At our store on thechristianworldview.org, we are intentional about offering resources that will build a sound and strong faith in children. You will find several Bibles for children, the Adam Raccoon book series, and Good News for Little Hearts series. We also have video and audio resources like Theo and Sugar Creek Gang Browse them all at thechristianworldview.org and then use them daily with the child God has put in your life. That's thechristianworldview.org. The Christian Worldview radio program airs live Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time. But did you know you can also listen according to your own schedule? One simple way to hear past programs is at our website, thechristianworldview.org. You'll also find short takes there, which are bite-sized highlights of each program. Beyond our website, you can search for The Christian Worldview in the podcast app on your smartphone and subscribe for free. The program is also available at oneplace.com, sermonaudio.com, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you need help navigating the online podcast realm, just give us a call, toll-free, 1-888-646-2233. 
or follow the links on the homepage of thechristianworldview.org. Because when believers have a sharper biblical worldview and non-believers come to saving faith, lives and families are changed for the glory of God. Thank you for listening. Back on the Christian Worldview radio program. I'm David Wheaton, the host. Our website is thechristianworldview.org. Just encourage you to go there. That's sort of our online home base there, where we have audio of all our past programs. You can find stations and replay times. You can subscribe to our free weekly email and annual print newsletter. Those are great ways to stay connected to the ministry. Uh, you can order resources. We have a whole store there, and you can get all the DVDs and books for adults and children and other things, and we just encourage you to do that. Uh, you can also sign up for the upcoming, boy, it's already the first day of August. It's Saturday, August 1st today, and the Christian Worldview golf event. There's not going to be a dinner portion of the event this year, usually the golf and dinner event. This year is just the golf event uh, because of indoor restrictions on gathering. So that's going to be Monday, September 21st at Woodhill Country Club in Wyzetta, Minnesota. If you are a golfer or know a golfer, tell them about this event. This is always a annual, enjoyable event in support of the Christian Worldview. So they can sign up for that or call us about that. Just go to our website, thechristianworldview.org. Okay, today in the program, we're doing part two of our topic on what's behind the denigration of whiteness. And the answer to that question is whiteness is associated mostly with with Christianity and the Christian values that the white Europeans brought over to America. And that's really what it's at the core of this. It's a rejection of, of biblical Christian values. Not all of the things they associate with whiteness are, are Christian values, to be sure, but a lot of them are, as we went over last week. But our guest this weekend on the program, Catherine Kirsten, She's a senior policy fellow at the Center of the American Experiment. She wrote an article just this past week uh, titled Racial Justice, a New Religion. And this is exactly what uh, she's talking about in this column. We have it linked at our website, but let's continue with the interview with Catherine. How is this racist ideology that if you're white, you're privileged and racist, how is that even accepted for one moment in our society? Well, that is, uh, again, David, you raised some, some pretty penetrating questions. That is exactly uh, the, the thing that baffles me most. Uh, again, this is, this is a matter of passion and, and emotion versus uh, clear, logical thinking. Uh, I think what one thing that be, is behind this, as I go on to describe later in the column, is that by pointing out what they see as the as the the sinfulness of white society generally and other white people in particular, uh, the people pushing this ideology, many of whom are are white, of course, can set themselves up as saved as as holding a higher truth uh, that that everyone else must accept. Or, or people who, who refuse to profess this doctrine and confess their own sins are, in fact, viewed as bad people, as, as a danger to the larger community because they hold heretical doctrines, and we all must avoid the, the mere occasion of sin, right? So it justifies a power grab on the part of people who profess 
to be among the saved uh, and, you know, destroying the livelihoods and the reputations of people who would dare to hold a different view on the basis uh, of this, this new religion without God. Catherine Kirsten again with us today in the Christian Realview Senior Policy Fellow at the Center of the American Experiment. There has been a counterpoint column written in response to your column by Jack Nelson Palmeyer, who is a professor emeritus of Justice and Peace Studies at the University of St. Thomas here in the Twin Cities. I'm going to read a few paragraphs of his column to you, Catherine, and he really uh, captures this worldview of Robin DiAngelo and the best-selling book, White Fragility. He starts up by saying, I have read articles by Catherine Kirsten since the 1980s, and after reading her column, Racial Justice, the New Religion, I believe for the first time I can say we share something in common. It is clear that we are both racists. Kirsten denies this. In fact, she rejects the existence of white privilege and white supremacy and rails against the very idea of systemic racism. She claims that racial justice is a new secular religion with followers guilty of Puritan-style intolerance. Ironically, her denials illuminate her racism as well as the reasons for my own confession. My name is Jack, he goes on to write. I am a 69-year-old white male. The sad truth is that I am a racist, even though I try not to be. And if you are a white person reading this, odds are you are too. An alcoholic's first step in healing is personal and public acknowledgement of the problem. Healing after the brutal death of George Floyd in learning from the rage unleashed by it starts with our admission that our racism hurts black people, capital B, and other persons of color. Liberals and conservatives need to understand and confront four dimensions of racism. And I'm just going to read the first one to you, and then maybe we'll get have time to get into the other ones, the other three later. The first one, he writes, is, Our first problem is that most white people, lowercase white, including Kirsten, associate racism with overt Disgusting expressions of hate and bigotry directed at people of color. We don't own slaves. We don't publicly use the N-word. We don't burn crosses on the lawns of black-owned homes or belong to the KKK. We may have a black person as a friend. This is progress of a sort, but limiting our understanding of racism to hateful acts and speech of malicious individuals is problematic. It allows white people to deny being racist feeds illusions of being, quote, colorblind, ignores institutions and social structures, and makes it impossible to argue cases of discrimination before the Supreme Court. So that was a long little reading there, Catherine. So I'd just like to know, how would you respond to what he just wrote in that introduction to his column? Mr. Uh, Nelson Palmeyer made himself a sitting duck by writing what he did, because he completely confirms uh, the premise of my column. I mean, he, he starts out so with, with so little self-awareness, saying that uh, my denials of my racism illuminate my own race, as well as the reasons for his confession. Uh, this is exactly what I am talking about, the, the quasi-religious 
uh, the, the, the sort of secular twisting of Puritanism, um, in, in which uh, someone like Jack Nelson Pallmeyer believes that he, he has a special knowledge, the knowledge of the saved, and that as a white man, the way that he can find salvation, a sort of piggyback on the suffering of black people, in his view, is that um, people like him must confess their, their sins. This is straight out of my column. Uh, people like that who seek salvation must confess their sins. They must check their white privilege. They must beg forgiveness, do penance, and vow to become an ally of the oppressed. This is exactly what Jack Nelson Pallmeyer has done and compares himself, talk about lack of moral agency, to, to an alcoholic. But he's a lifelong alcoholic, right? He can't do anything about it um, because simply because of his skin color. Uh, that that kind of determinism is is you know astonishing mm. to me and demeaning not only to to himself but to all the people he purports to be helping through his confessions. When someone accuses you of white privilege, Catherine, what is your response to that, or how should someone respond to that accusation? This notion of of white privilege depends on the underlying and unspoken assumption that human beings are members of racial groups first and foremost, and individuals uh, only secondarily. Uh, Everyone must be looked at um, from the point of view of, of individual character, let's say a soul, having a soul rather than a self. So people like Jack Nelson Pallmeyer uh, believe that individual character based on virtue, uh, which is something, you know, to a good extent within our own control, uh, is, is not the way to understand human beings. We must be um, understood as, as selves in search of an identity. And this identity is determined for us, right? It is, it is based on our skin color. Uh, so all we can do is kind of fall into line. Uh, it, it, that kind of, of uh, really destructive and false view of what it means to be a human being is the unspoken assumption behind all that Jack Nelson Paul Palmer is saying, I think. You go on in your column to say, what explains this lightning speed capitulation that, that's taking place in our society? For many young people, restless after the COVID-19 lockdown and often knowing little of history or religion, conversion to the woke faith can be part of a search for meaning in our post-Christian society. For corporations professing, quote, solidarity with the new religion, it's good business. So, Catherine, how has the education system in our country sullied Americans' minds that all of American history is summed up in the following, that Columbus came to commit genocide originally against the indigenous people. Uh, black slaves came in 1619. That was the beginning of uh, America, not not 1776, but the, the 1619 project when the first right. black slave uh, was brought to America and then built all of American wealth. That was what was responsible for the American prosperity. And then you had the Civil War in the racist right. South. And then the next point in history is the segregation era back in the 1900s. And here we are today. So 
Describe what the education system or how the education system has has led to the worldview of so many people today, and especially young people. Catherine Kirsten will answer that question after this break. The, the short answer is it has led in major part to the worldview that we see all over America today, very tragically. More next on The Christian Worldview. If you like golf, you'll love playing in the Christian Worldview golf event at historic Woodhill Country Club in Wyzetta, Minnesota on Monday, September 21st. Golf registration includes lunch, range, and 18 holes with cart on one of the best courses in the state. Bring your own foursome or we can fit you into a group. Hole sponsorships are also available. Shotgun start is 12.30 p.m. There won't be an evening dinner event this year due to indoor group restrictions, but golfers will enjoy the rare opportunity to play at Woodhill with its immaculate condition, challenging greens, and beautiful setting, all in support of the Christian Worldview Radio Ministry. We hope to see you on Monday, September 21st. Registration deadline is Tuesday, September 8th. To register, visit thechristianworldview.org. That's thechristianworldview.org. Be sure to take advantage of two free resources that will keep you informed and sharpen your worldview. The first is the Christian Worldview Weekly Email, which comes to your inbox each Friday. It contains a preview of the upcoming radio program, along with need-to-read articles, featured resources, special events, and audio of the previous program. The second is the Christian Worldview Annual Print Letter, which is delivered to your mailbox in November. It contains a year-end letter from host David Wheaton and a listing of our store items, including DVDs, books, children's materials, and more. You can sign up for the weekly email and annual print letter by visiting thechristianworldview.org or calling 1-888-646-2233. Your email and mailing address will never be shared, and you can unsubscribe at any time. Call 1-888-646-2233 or visit thechristianworldview.org. We're back on the Christian Worldview radio program. The program is every weekend live from 8 to 9 a.m. Central Time and also replays at certain times throughout the weekend. You can find out more about replays and how you can sign up for the free podcast, and you can get the free short takes, which are little highlights that we send out every week of the program, just by going to our website, thechristianworldview.org. I was thinking about this question that Catherine Kirsten just answered our guest today about white privilege, and if someone accuses you of having white privilege, you should just reject that. Nah, I don't identify as being white, thank you very much, okay? My identity as as a believer is I identify as being one created by God, a worshiper of him, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's my identity. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. That's my secondary identity. Um, Being white or other things like that are so far down the list, they don't even make the top five of my identities. Don't don't tell me what my identity needs to be. So th- there's a little answer for you when that little charge is thrown at you that you uh, have this white privilege, therefore you have power, therefore you're racist, therefore you're a white supremacist. Reject that right at the very beginning. Okay, our guest today here on The Christian Realview is Catherine Kirsten. 
She's a columnist. She's a senior policy fellow at the Center of the American Experiment. You can find out more about her by going to our website, thechristianworldview.org. But let's get back to the third segment of our interview. All of American history is summed up in the following, that Columbus came to commit genocide originally against the indigenous people. Uh, black slaves came in 1619. That was the beginning of uh, America, not not 1776, but the, the 1619 project when the first right. black slave uh, was brought to America and then built all of American wealth. That was what was responsible for the American prosperity. And then you had the Civil War and the racist right. South. And then the next point in history is the segregation era back in the 1900s. And here we are today. So. Describe what the education system or how the education system has has led to the worldview of so many people today, and especially young people. The movement in uh, education circles that you just described started uh, decades ago uh, with um, uh, a kind of uh, social justice activism as uh, not teaching factual history, but, but making social justice the goal of uh, instruction about uh, history and civics, uh, that, that created the, the kind of foundation of this crusade that we've seen advance in our public schools over the last 30 or 40 years. And here, I think we, we see it carried to, uh, to, to a real extreme. I mean, you mentioned um, the, the 1619 Project, we know that this uh, this whole worldview is, is incorporated in the uh, the civics textbooks or history textbooks of uh, Howard Zinn, for example, which have been widely used in our public schools. But I think one reason we're seeing this tr- truly absurd uh, set of propositions here, where American can be accused of systemic racism, when in fact we had eight years of a black president um, very recently. I, I think part of it is a result of the fact that liberal attempts to overcome uh, the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, starting in you know, 1954 with uh, the Board of Education and, uh, and then the 1964 Civil Rights Act, uh, have been so, uh, in certain respects, so unsuccessful. Uh, but we're talking about busing for desegregation throughout the country for, you know, 25 years. We're talking about uh, massive social welfare spending, as I say, all kinds of voting rights laws, et cetera. And in the end, for a certain portion of the black population, this has not resulted in the kind of improvement that liberals always told us it would. And the reason it hasn't is that it has created incentives for family breakdown. It's, it's removed the idea of, uh, of personal responsibility, not only uh, you know, among minority communities, but, but white communities as well. It's been such a failure that I think uh, progressives now have to distract public attention from that 60 years and go back to a notion of claiming systemic racism, which, in fact, we can never escape, right? Because that, that's the end game here. There is no way when... Black people are determined by their skin color and white people are determined that we'll ever escape it, meaning that progressives have to be in power permanently in order to keep fighting this battle that they tell us, frankly, is unwinnable. And their record, progressives and, and Democrats who have been in power in these 
uh, inner city areas where there is so much rage uh, coming out of. These are largely black areas that have had Democrat leaders for generations. Generations. For generations. This is not a not a Republican imposed policies uh, on these black communities where there are so many uh, problems. Catherine Kirsten again joins us today here on the Christian Real View radio program. Uh, you go on to say in your column, this new faith, this woke faith, the adherents view themselves as, quote, the elect, the redeemed, as it were, by a predestined grace. They are convinced they possess a higher truth, and they are committed to imposing it on others. It, it's not like evangelism and like share the gospel, and it's up to you whether you're going to believe or reject this news. It's, exactly. it's an imposition on others. Like their Puritan forebears, the woke faith's adherents believe that heretics whose false doctrine imperils the larger community, must be rooted out. Dissenters must be humiliated, shunned, and branded with Hester uh, Prynne's scarlet A of, of shame. Yet the new faith does offer a way for white Americans and other sinners to find salvation. To join the righteous, they must confess their sins, must, quote, check their privilege, beg forgiveness, do penance, and vow to become a, quote, ally of the oppressed. Today, a Puritan-inspired witch hunt mentality is ablaze all around us, bent on destroying the reputations and livelihoods of those who show the slightest hesitation to profess true doctrine. Bigot and hater are the new witch and wizard, as commentator Mary Eberstadt has observed. But for the movement's leaders, and this is your, I think, your last sentence of the column, this secular faith offers much more. Its goal is to dismantle as irredeemably racist the sinful nation in which we live and to build, in the Puritan phrase, a new city on a hill made in their own image. And they say a lot there in that, that paragraph or two. This is obviously not a reconciling Religion, no. Catherine. This is not a, right. a unifying religion. This is a very divisive religion. Yes. So what, as you say in the last sentence there, what is this new city on a hill look like that these this false secular racist religion is seeking to build? What would it look like? Well, of course, they they never tell us, uh, which is interesting uh, and, and this is this is typical of these these kind of utopian secular uh, faiths, uh, such as uh, Marxism, cultural Marxism. There's always a utopia, a, a, a perfect society uh, at the end of the, the road. It's kind of heaven on earth, let's say, which is one reason they can't describe it. And and of course, as we've said, they they uh, they must uh, continue to to push the notion of, of inherent racism and racial conflict and keep upping the ante and keep pushing back the, the sort of moral agency of both blacks and whites through implicit bias and, uh, you know, that, that kind of thing, because their goal is to keep, to take and keep power. And they can't have it, right, unless racism continues to be a, a terrible wound in our society. So in, in essence, they, they are really fomenting uh, the, the kind of racial division that they say that they want to do away with. And that's why they so forcibly reject Martin Luther King's notion 
of um, mm-hmm. unity and uh, seeing people as human beings first and judging them on the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. These people teach exactly the opposite. But as to what it will look like in reality, you know, to the extent they build their power, uh, they are proposing, uh, that's this is one of the primary uh, tenets of Black Lives Matter, defunding police departments all across the country. Well, we are seeing already in Minneapolis and Chicago and New York uh, what is happening uh, as uh, police morale declines. And in Seattle, I understand that uh, the police can no longer use pepper spray uh, in in fighting uh, rioters. Uh, So we're going to see the fruits of this kind of utopian, uh, unaccountable thinking uh, for a while, and and that's kind of a hope I have, that uh, people will see this, what it really means to follow this siren song, and uh, people will will, uh, wake up. That's, That's the hope and the prayer. Catherine Kirsten again with us today in the Christian Worldview Radio Program. She's a senior policy fellow at the Center of the American Experiment. I want to read just one more quote from your excellent column, Catherine. You say, quote, forced conversions to the new faith are also becoming commonplace. Drew Brees, the New Orleans Saints quarterback, first criticized athletes kneeling during the national anthem and then issued a groveling apology. Dan Cathy, CEO of Chick-fil-A, sought absolution for past sins by shining the shoes of a black rapper named Lecrae. Politicians kneel in repentance and whites in Tony neighborhoods display a, quote, Black Lives Matter sign on their lawn. People want to know, let's say, who listen to programs like this and are alarmed by what's taking place in our country. How should they be responding to this new secular religion? How should they be explaining to their own family and sphere of influence how wicked and divisive this is? Okay, Catherine Kirsten will answer that question after the final break of the day here on the Christian Real View. I hope you are gaining as much from this interview as I am. I've, I've now obviously interviewed her and went through the editing process. I'm hearing it again and am learning about this very Im- important development of worldview change that's taking place in our country. I hope you are too back after this. The Christian Worldview Radio Program airs live Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time. But did you know you can also listen according to your own schedule? One simple way to hear past programs is at our website, thechristianworldview.org. You'll also find short takes there, which are bite-sized highlights of each program. Beyond our website, you can search for The Christian Worldview in the podcast app on your smartphone and subscribe for free. The program is also available at OnePlace.com, SermonAudio.com, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you need help navigating the online podcast realm, just give us a call, toll-free, 1-888-646-2233, or follow the links on the homepage of thechristianworldview.org. Because when believers have a sharper biblical worldview and non-believers come to saving faith, Lives and families are changed for the glory of God. Thank you for listening. There's an abundance of Christian resources available, but the reality is that many of them, even some of the most popular, do not lead to a sound and strong faith. While there's only one perfect book, 
A key aim of the Christian worldview is to identify and offer resources that are biblically faithful and deepen your walk with God. In our online store, we have a wide range of resources for all ages, adult and children's books and DVDs, Bibles and devotionals, unique gifts, and more. So browse our store at thechristianworldview.org and find enriching resources for yourself, family, friends, small group, or church. You can also order by calling toll-free 1-888-646-2233. That's 1-888-646-2233. Or visit thechristianworldview.org. Well, we appreciate your joining us today in the Christian Worldview radio program each week. Uh, we're so appreciative listeners who write to us, who support the ministry, and we always want to make sure we say thank you, and we are grateful for your support. Um, thinking now that this has been many, many years back into the early 2000s since God has been gracious to have the Christian worldview on the air, and uh, we could not do that without the uh, the support and the prayer and the encouragement of our listeners. So thank you for that. And today, as we close the program, we're talking about what's behind the denigration of whiteness. And this is a part two of a two-part series on this topic. You can listen to part one by going to our website, thechristianworldview.org. But we have one uh, short segment left with our guest today, Catherine Kirsten. So let's get to that, and then we'll have some follow-up commentary afterwards. People want to know, let's say, who listen to programs like this and are alarmed by what's taking place in our country how should they be responding to this new secular religion? How should they be explaining to their own family and sphere of influence how wicked and divisive this is? I think, again, uh, pointing out the, uh, how, how demeaning and condescending uh, to both black and white citizens of America it is to, to pigeonhole them in this one-dimensional deterministic and false uh, a kind of of way, uh, the, the, how damaging it is. The, let me just give you an example. Um, the the kind of people who support these policies uh, claim that racial disparities in um, suspension, in, in discipline in, in public schools uh, are a result uh, not of actual differences in student conduct, uh, but of, of systemic racism. So the Minnesota Department of, uh, of uh, uh, Human Rights has, has actually threatened to sue many school districts uh, which don't have discipline uh, rates among various racial groups that reflect their proportion of the school population. What they've done in order to equalize those rates is remove meaningful consequences for student misbehavior. And as a result, uh, in, in these school districts, there's increasing disorder. Kids are not held accountable for their behavior. Kids don't learn that there are negative consequences for, for violence and for cheating on exams and that kind of thing. Uh, again, sort of by their fruits, you shall know them. <clears throat> if you can point to the actual consequences of this way of looking at human beings, I think you can make some headway 
uh, mm. with your with your friends and, and within your own family. Yeah. It's certainly not the way the Bible or, or or God's Word points to the identity of human beings as all made in the image of God and Absolutely. never referring in the Bible to anyone as as their primary identity is based on their skin color. Matter of fact, I was last week. I, I couldn't think of one instance in the Bible that people are referred to as by the color of their skin. It's more like believer or non-believer or where they're from or something, but never in this device of this unchangeable characteristic of the melanin in your skin. Right. There is no there is no, no Jew. There is no Greek. There is no slave. There is no master. Uh, we're all one in Christ. Mm. That's the message of the gospel. Yeah. That is the message of the gospel, that no matter what your skin color is, that should not be your primary identity. Your primary identity, first and foremost, is that you are a creation of God. You are individually made uh, according to the likeness of God. And then, therefore, since you're made in his image and you're made by him, you are created to be a worshiper of him. That is the purpose of life, that you would, no matter what you do in life, what your career, occupation, or station is in life, that you would be a worshiper of him. And you can become a worshiper of him when you agree with God that you're a sinner and that you have been divided and alienated from him because of your sin. He's perfectly holy, and when you sin, it's like rebellion, treason against him, and that breaks that intended relationship. But the good news is that God provided a way that we can be right with him, that we don't have to suffer uh, judgment and his justice and wrath over our sin, which we deserve by being sent to hell for eternity and paying the penalty for our own sin, but that God offers a way that we can be made right with him by sending his perfect son, Jesus, to pay the penalty on the cross that we deserve to pay so that God's justice over our sin and his wrath over our sin could be fully satisfied. And therefore, God can look at us as having all of our sins paid for by the vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ on that cross. And when we repent of our sin and believe in what Jesus did for us, his work on the cross, not our own works, but his work, God forgives us and he makes us right with him. That is a message of hope and good news rather than this whole white privilege, white supremacy, whiteness message that we are hearing out of society today. So we need to, number one, reject this godless ideology of critical race theory and whiteness and white privilege and everything else. Now, of course, it may seem like some of the things are correct, like like whites have oppressed blacks in the past and their systemic racism and so forth. Every single lie contains a kernel of truth. Otherwise, no one would believe it. It's like Satan in the garden. You know, he says a little bit of a little bit of truth and a lot of bit of lie. So reject it. But it's completely this particular lie is way exaggerated. It's mostly based on personal experience of people. And it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical to categorize people based on the color of their skin. So just reject this godless secular ideology. Matter of fact, I sort of wish Catherine, the example of comparing it to Puritan theology, it's not what she intended in her article, but often will say, well, then Puritan theology must be bad as well. Now, that's not the case. Puritan theology was very sound theology. It was She was referring to just the, the few people who professed to be Puritans who lived in Massachusetts during that time, way late, uh, uh, just for about a year period of time when they had the Salem witch trials, or I'm sure the people were trying to uh, literally put into practice what the Old Testament did when there was a theocracy of punishing those who are witches and wizards and so forth and so on. 
But this uh, whiteness, this critical race theory uh, ideology is probably better compared to just godless secular humanism. And it's a religion in and of itself. Secular humanism is a religion. They worship man and so forth and so on. So that's number one. Reject this godless ideology. Number two, reject white privilege. As I mentioned earlier, if you're a believer, your identity is not based on the color of your skin. Your identity is that you're created by God. You're a, you're a worshiper of him. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, you're, like I mentioned for me, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a American. I'm a Minnesotan. Uh, I'm a former athlete. If you go into the occupation, I'm a radio host and so forth. This is my identity. And those last couple things are way down the list. My primary identity, if you want to talk about primary identity, is I'm created by God and I'm a worshiper of him. Number three, love your neighbor as yourself. Treat people as individuals, not as groups. I mean, that that's the way the Bible treats people. You're saved not by being a part of a group or in what you do, but you're saved individually when you come to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And number four, just understand and proclaim that the gospel is the only answer for these problems that we see in people's lives and in our society. Uh, when an individual heart is saved, that individual changes. When that individual proclaims the gospel to another individual, that individual changes. Then broadly, more community problems can be changed. The gospel is the answer. Until next time, think biblically and live accordingly. We hope today's broadcast turned your heart toward God, His Word, and His Son. To order a CD copy of today's program or sign up for our free weekly email or to find out how you can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, go to our website, thechristianworldview.org. Or call us toll-free at 1-888-646-2233. The Christian Worldview is a weekly one-hour radio program that is furnished by the Overcomer Foundation and is supported by listeners and sponsors. Request one of our current resources with your donation of any amount. Go to thechristianworldview.org or call us toll-free at 1-888-646-2233 or write to us at Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. That's Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. Thanks for listening to The Christian Worldview. Until next time, think biblically and live accordingly.